out there. You're tuned to WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. This is the voice and spirit of Cape Cod here on International Women's Day. I'm Pandora Peoples, and this hour is called Creating Symbiosis and equity through education, social services, and music. And I'm very happy that we have over a dozen women sharing their thoughts on International Women's Day and what it means to them. We're going to hear from educators, artists, activists, community leaders, nonprofit organizations dedicated to helping women. We're going to hear from immigrants, people helping girls and women overcome disparities, obstacles, and challenges, and find their strength. Deep boughs and blossoms of pungent witch hazel to everyone lit up by this full moon as our ravishing, wounded, four-billion-year-old mother whirls towards spring like a dervish. I'm Jerusha daughter of Yodis and Yaakov, who immigrated from Lithuania and Ukraine via Palestine, where they met and married in Jerusalem on the brink of world war. I'm a daughter, sister, auntie, lover, mother, comadre, and madrina of powerful makers of art, music, soup, quilts, Dances, rhymes, remedies, and good trouble. When Wellfleet's little green shul celebrates the feast of Purim, our spiel flips the Megillah's vengeful mishugas and cheers not one but two queens, badass Vashti, who dares to refuse, and beautiful Esther, who dares to reveal. We toast them both by the light of the same moon that first illuminated their scroll more than 2,000 years ago, in Persia, now Iran. And this year, we raise a glass to 22-year-old Kurdish-Iranian Masa Amini, whose death last September in police custody sparked a revolution, Barayazan Zandegi Azadi, for women, life, freedom. Right now, somewhere in Iran, a 12-year-old girl sweeps the floor, feeling the cramps of her first blood. What does she hear? A baby crying, her mother busy making supper, some kind of commotion in the street, car horns blaring. She smells smoke, but not from the kitchen, and slips out of the house. Louder now, she hears guards shouting and the voices of her friends and older kids chanting, Mullahs out. The moon is brighter than the street lights. Her pain is gone. She finds them, and unwinding her hijab, she shakes her hair loose, twirls the long scarf over her head, and flings it into the fire. Hi, everybody. My name's Lisa Brown, and happy International Women's Day. You know, I know I should be talking about equity and gender parity, but really, what I want to talk about today is being authentic 
I think the best thing that we can do for our girls and our women all around the world is to tell our story, to tell our story in a way that's authentic and real and moving, to tell a story that brings vibrancy, understanding, compassion, passion, and heartfelt empathy to each other. The only way that we can really heal ourselves and our planet is to really embrace our womanhood, to share it with other women, to love other women as our sisters, our children, our grandparents. We really need to, as elders, and I guess I consider myself an elder now, to be as authentic in our expression of our love for each other as possible. I don't know anything more important than standing shoulder to shoulder with the young women, girls, and older people around me to say, I feel you, I hear you, I know what you're going through, and I've gone through it too. I think authentic storytelling is the key to building our society or rebuilding our society and being able to let go of some of the derisiveness and divisiveness by finding some kind of common denominator. Look, we can always find a common denominator. You know, when I talk to kids teaching at Nosset and we talk about cultural differences, we may all look as soon as we get home into the refrigerator, standing at the door with the door open, thinking there's nothing to eat in here when we know there's actually plenty to eat in there. As my friend Ellen wrote in an article recently talking about the classes that I teach, she said some of those kids see rice and beans in that fridge. Some of those kids see a tuna sandwich. But we all see something and we can share it with each other. We can do that in International Women's Day. I invite every man and every person, regardless of gender or gender fluidity, to stand shoulder to shoulder March 8th on International Women's Day today and walk forward together to make sure that all of us, all of us, all of us are heard and can tell our story. Thanks, everybody. Hug the person next to you. Happy International Women's Day. Positive. Positive. So true. How you live your life without being positive. Positive. Be positive. So true. So true. Be positive. Positive. Yeah. Positive. Live positive. Yeah. Be positive. Be moving positive. Oh.
everybody this is ayana freedom from be free wellness inc and ayanafreedom.com i understand that we are celebrating international women's day today and i'm so excited to share some messages with you about that i think in order to do that i wanted to honor my mother and my daughter today as part of international women's day And the reason I wanted to talk a little bit about them is because they are the two people in my life that have taught me most about the strength of women and the equity that they have surpassed in many ways as women of color in this world. So my mom's name was Valerie Lake, man, and she had a big ass afro and she was gorgeous and unapologetic. She was in every protest you could possibly find and I learned how to fight for women's rights and for justice of all people from that woman. My daughter Blessing, oh my gosh, has all the energy in the whole wide world and she has taught me how to live in this world as a free person and not to worry about what anyone else thinks and to love every single person that comes across you and to really love the world in a way that sometimes we are just not able to do at all. So, I want to encourage all the women out there, whether you be girls, whether you be fluid in your gender, whether you identify as a woman, whether you identify as a woman of color, to not buy into dominant cultures understanding of who you may or may not be. Move beyond that. Live in the way that you want in the world. Embrace everything that is amazing about you and just love the other women around you. Again, this is Ayana Freedom. I am so honored to celebrate this day with you and just keep on keeping on, my friends. Thanks so much. Hello, my name is Tara Vargas-Wallace, founder of Amplify POC. This International Women's Day, I'm thinking a lot about equity, specifically pay equity and the gender wage gap. According to the Center for American Progress, women make 77 cents to every $1 that white men make. The data gets worse for women of color. Hispanic women make 57 cents to the white man's dollar. Indigenous women make 60 cents to the white man's dollar and black women make 64 cents to the white man's dollar. Black females hold two thirds of the college debt in this country. This is why it's critical to embolden our legislators to support legislation like the Equal Pay Act, the Paycheck Fairness Act, 
the wage transparency bill, parity on board's legislation, and to encourage Congress to reinstate the White House Equal Pay Task Force. We need action now. Women are powerful, and it's time to join forces and advocate for equity for ourselves and our future generations to come. So on this International Women's Day, I empower all of you to get more involved in spaces of power and start utilizing your voice for progress and change. Equal pay, equal opportunity, equality for all genders. Happy International Women's Day. This is the executive director of Women's Lunch Place, Jennifer Hanlon Wigan. We know that more than 90% of women who end up homeless have severe physical or sexual assault in their background and oftentimes rooted in childhood. So the trauma is very severe. And we also know that we have a community of women, majority, minority, over 60% of our guests are women of color. Over 50% are age 55 and older. The homeless population is aging. We also know that they have not had access to what we call the social determinants of health. You know, good education, uh, nutrition, opportunity. And so we are really focused on that deep, deep deep-seated trauma. So we always talk about our service model being very integrated. So while we are focused in this area and workforce development, we know that some of those women might be involved in a recovery class. We currently have recovery programs running four days a week, and our goal is to get it up to six days a week so that they have access to multiple facets of programming that can support their economic empowerment in the future. I'm motivated by the incredible staff we have at Women's Lunch Place. I mean, actually, I just, I have the best staff there. Such a variety of women from lived experience to different, you know, races and cultures and languages that we speak, but really everybody brings their own, their own history to this work and their own, you know, dynamics to the way they approach guests. It's really very inspiring to see the difference that, that that sort of proactive, respectful approach can have on women. So how can people get involved with Women's Lunch Place? Sure, sure. Well, you can find us at www.womenslunchplace.org. We're at Newbury Street in Boston, 67 Newbury Street. So you can walk walk on by as well. But we welcome 
folks to become engaged in a variety of manners. You can connect your, your local women's group with us. You can come in as an individual. You can get a, your, your corporate group behind us. There's lots of ways to get engaged in this work. When you walk through the doors of Women's Lunch Place, you find a community and you find that you, you really participate in lifting up that community. Our tagline is dignity is everything. And it's just at the core of what we do. Everybody, every woman is their own authentic self. And we really want them to be able to, you know, move forward and celebrate their gifts. So I think that's what you'll find at Women's Lunch Place. <laughs> This is Executive Director of Science Club for Girls, Bonnie Bertolle. Going through my own career, I was lucky to grow up in a very academically focused environment. I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I had a lot of support from not only my family, but the parents of my friends who were all in STEM fields as professors. But I was not equipped for the gender and sexual discrimination I would feel throughout my career, which also fueled why I got into this. And so I am just really about having young girls and gender expansive youth and young women really feeling, as I said, the excitement, the wonder the ability to make sense of their lives through STEM and the world around them and be part of, you know, having the option of going into careers that really can dramatically affect their surroundings and affect other people and their lives in the community at large. I'd like to talk about some of what you were saying about the messages that girls get. And the research shows that, unfortunately, by second grade, boys and girls have already internalized negative stereotypes around who does better in math and science. So about 50% of the U.S. workforce is made up of women, but only about 29%, 28, 29% of the STEM workforce is made up of women. And the situation is even more drastic in terms of our prioritized communities, which are girls, gender expansive youth, young women who um, are underrepresented in STEM by race, um, come from low income family backgrounds and are the first in their family to go to college. So only about 4% of US scientists and engineers are black and Latina women. So, you know, we are all about, you can't be what you can't see. And at the same time, there are all these fields that are developing that we can't and can't even imagine. But, you know, going on what the disciplines that we are aware of right now, 
We have always emphasized representation and the importance of mentoring. When I first started with Science Club for Girls, about 28% of our mentors came from the same communities that our participants do. Right before the pandemic, we were really upping our efforts to recruit mentors who reflected the communities we serve. And with the advent of virtual programming, we are seeing much more representation in our mentors. Now, routinely over 50% of our mentors come from these same populations. And this semester, I believe uh, it is as high as 68%. My name is Zoila Diaz. I'm one of the co-directors of Mujeres Unidas Avanzando. A Mujeres, we advocate and support women and youth with educational program and social service. The immigrant woman and her family face many challenges in their life to live safely and also healthy. My passion is working with all kinds of nationalities, but especially with Latina women. The woman who walked through the door of Mujeres is the first step she takes to start her new future. In the future, I would like to see more programs to help low-income immigrant women. Mujeres Unidas has openings, doors to all women, and I would like to continue to see many women leaders in our organization in the future. They will be also be leaders who will be support other women. Mujeres Unidas always think about the future of the women. My motivation is that every day a woman come to Mujeres Unidas to search, support in all area that she need and Mujeres is prepared to help and support her. Every day I am proud is that the women we have are fighters and achieve their own dreams. Hi, I'm Myra Coy, an artist out of Provincetown. I'm really, really happy that I have this opportunity to share my new installation that I'll be building. I have a residency at Castle Hill Edgewood Farms. It's in Turo. And I'm going to be building an immersive radiant light installation. The atmosphere is relaxing and reflects the natural world. The painted walls are like the night sky with shooting stars or the reflection of this, the clouds on a dancing ocean. Or when you look up, the ceiling turns into like an aurora, an aura. Borealis, which is just like, I don't know, it's beautiful. It makes me smile. There are like totems in the middle uh, filled with neon light that activate the walls of the space, which you get to walk and meander through. This immersive space is designed to counter the everyday stresses, the news, the inequalities, all of the things that come at us as we live our everyday at the end of March, I'll be hosting a breath and meditation within the space, a kind of restorative yin practice, which I'm really excited to be able to share. And there'll be artists that will be responding to the space, both poet and musician. I'll let Pandora know when that's happening. And if you follow me 
On social media, I'll be able to give you the updates of, of the events. And that's at Myra, M-Y-R-A, Koi, K-O-O-Y. Both Instagram and Facebook are just my name. And then my website is MyraSite.com, which is Myra, M-Y-R-A, site, S-I-G-H-T.com. My name is Rachel Devaney, and I am a reporter with the Cape Cod Times. I'm also a member of the Eastern Woodland Rematriation Collective, and I sit on the board of the Women and Girls Fund through the Cape Cod Foundation. While I was raised in Centerville by my parents, Bill and Judy Devaney, I was born in El Salvador, and my lineage goes back to the Papil tribe of Apaneca. Today, in honor of International Women's Day, I am sharing a short story from my book, Finding Fresia, a work of fiction that's still in the making. In its completion, it will feature 15 women of color, including myself, who were adopted from around the world and raised in the United States. As I travel throughout the country, interviewing adoptees and sharing stories about my adoption, as well as photos that reflect the reunification with my birth family, I spend hard moments in my truth. Today is no different as I share a small piece of myself with all of you, my Cape Cod family. Throughout my childhood, I spent hour upon hour playing in Long Pond in Centerville, a tree-lined waterway that held all sorts of treasures, gorgeous emerald green-headed drakes, followed by their hens and yellow fluff-covered ducklings, swans that sauntered across the water, and red-streaked painter turtles that scuttled and skittered through sandy shorelines and along lily pads that stretched across the pond. On the hottest summer days, I collected cement blocks from around the property, the kind with sand, gravel, and tiny little periwinkle shells embedded within the bricks. I loaded them onto my boogie board and swam them to the center of the pond. One by one, I gripped the bricks tightly on either side and pushed them into the water. As I held on, I flew through the darkness of the pond. I often pretended to be a mermaid, my long black hair flying behind me. It was just a few moments before I reached the bottom, but in that time, I allowed myself to dream about who I was and where I came from. I always felt a closeness to the water, a kinship with the trees, and to the marine life that surrounded me on Cape Cod. But my adoption from El Salvador was somewhat of a mystery. Who were my birth parents and what were my tribal lines? In those short spurts of time, I escaped judgment and felt the pain of abandonment peel away from my body. The weightlessness of the water brought me momentary peace. Almost 40 years later, the same calmness cradled me as I swam through Lake Coatepeque in El Salvador. Surrounded by volcanoes, the crater lake's waters were clear, warm, calm, yet powerful. A kind of rebirth came over me as I thought of all the souls who soaked in the water for thousands of years before me. I allowed myself to embrace the freedom of knowing where I came from. A reclamation of who I was had already begun three years earlier, after I I was reunited with my birth mother, Alba, my brother, Edwin, and my sister, Wendy, as well as many nieces, nephews, cousins, aunts, and uncles in 2018. But that's another story for another day. When I arrived to my family's home in the mountains of Awachapan during the summer of 2021, I was mesmerized by the humble two-story home built by my grandparents, Leonor and Simeon. With any wave of the wind, mangoes fell from the tree 
that canopied the house. Thud, thud, thud onto the blazing hot tin roof. The mango tree was planted by Simeon many years before El Salvador's civil war, a time that not only stole acres of farmland from my family, but also the lives of more than 75,000 indigenous people. The mango tree, which is now solid and strong, wound its way through the center of the postage stamp-sized property, its branches peeking in and out of the house, its arms roaming up to the heavens. At its base was a wealth of dark red clay used to make comas, or cooking stones. The smell of smoke and fresh ground corn tortillas hung in the air at all times. On special occasions, my family made pupusas and simmered tamales outside in giant pot steamers. The first time I met my 96-year-old grandmother, Leo is what everyone calls her, she showed me how to wrap tamales. As each banana leaf passed through her hands, she tugged gently, ripping the frond into sections so it could be filled with seasoned meat and masa. On one of our visits, as we cooked together, she told me the story of her bees. She and my grandfather were beekeepers before the war. Charmers, she said. Bees were smart. They had a rhyme and a reason for the way they moved and protected their queen. The oldest bees were stationed in front of the hive to keep the colony safe from intruders. They had the most developed stingers and the strongest potent venom. They also had the least to lose by dying, she said. The only person the elder bees let near the hive was my grandfather. They recognized his scent, she said. If anyone else came close, they attacked. When it came time to harvest the honey, my grandmother dried out corn cobs to create smoke, which was sprayed throughout the hive, an attempt, an attempt to distract the bees. Once the honey was safely secured, my grandmother cooked the honey in order to separate it from its wax. Two sisters from a nearby village would purchase the wax and make candles for funerals. When someone died, our tribe, the Papil people, took the body into the home and family, friends, and neighbors stayed overnight alongside the departed. That's how we say goodbye, she said. The following day, the body was buried and families continued to join together. I recalled that story as I soaked in the Pacific Ocean, which was just south of my family's home. As I looked out into the endless waves and the water rocked me gently back and forth, I felt my grandmother's matriarchal strength. A powerful union of love and survival through war, through migration, and through indigenous salvation. It's through her that I can reclaim my story and allow the water to carry me home once again. On International Women's Day, I encourage you all to share your stories and celebrate women for who we are and the eternal strength we carry within. Thank you all for listening. This is Sister D from the This and That Band. Today, we celebrate the beginning of International Women's Month. I'm so proud to be here and so blessed and so thankful to the women before me that paved the way 
for me to be here doing what I do today. And I feel so blessed and honored to try to pave the way for the girls of today to have a brighter future tomorrow. I am thankful for everything that has been given to me, all the mountains I've climbed. I'm thankful for all the downs that I've had. It showed me and paved the way for the woman that I am today. And I want to say I'm thankful and blessed. And I want to put this out to you musically. And I hope you enjoy what I bring to you. And I just wish for everyone empowerment, success, and a brighter future for all women. Not today, but tomorrow and every day. Hello friends, Anne Stott here. I'm so happy to be adding my voice to this celebration of International Women's Day. I know that my life is built on the shoulders of thousands of women, queer women, gender non-conforming trailblazers, warriors for racial justice and all freedom movements around the country and the world. Whatever freedom we have today was built by the sacrifice, the love, the voices, the intelligence, and the bodies of those people. And the best way I know to honor their work and their commitment and their sacrifice is to keep raising our voices and using our bodies for freedom and more freedom wherever it's in jeopardy from the feminist movement happening, revolution really happening in Iran today to the fight for autonomy over our bodies and abortion rights in the United States to stand up against the trans bans that are being proposed all over this country. We have to keep using our voices. It's been such a hard past six or seven years, but it's not over and we need to continue the work and move the work forward. And I'm so happy that a radio station like WMR is dedicating so much time and space to celebrating the history of what has come before and make space, therefore, for what comes next. Onward.
Next up, Camille Madison, a Quina Wampanoag tribal language educator and organizer for environmental justice. I think women are just so powerful. And I think that even in our culture, when you think of the word woman, it's a word that means she who has final say. We were and we are a matriarchal society and we believe in the power of women. We believe that because we are life givers, that we hold a sacred place in the community and um, we have a little bit of a different understanding when it comes to all the great things that women offer as a resource to their home, but to their community and to the world. And so when I think about International Women's Day, I see that, you know, all around the world that women are leading, women are in the lead, you know, and doing great things. So I definitely celebrate all that is being done. And I am hopeful and praying for the time in which women are really trusted and respected and leadership positions and heard, because I think that that's an important part of this evolution, this change that needs to take place. You know, we've been allowing the men to, you know, be up there in the, in the, in the forefront, but I know that there's women back there, you know, in the background, you know, that they say behind every strong man, there's a, there's a stronger woman, you know? And so you look at all these leaders that we've had in the past and Yes, that's that's true. You know, their their wives or their partners or, you know, they've been very supportive and really the foundation for a lot of the work that we see, you know, that is happening around the world. Up next, Jean Morrison, community activist, consultant and strategist for diversity, equity and inclusion. She's the board president of Amplify POC, co-president of the League of Women Voters, Cape Cod, executive board member on the NAACP Cape Cod branch and more. What you think of is politics. Get that out of your head. I started visiting nursing homes. I started doing walks for hunger. That's civic engagement. You see a problem in your community, you do something about it. You see people in leadership that have your vote to do something or not. Someone voted for them. They're in a, they're an elected position and it just schooling them what that means. So you start that. It has to be the rest of your life. It's not just in in the class, in the classroom. So, you know, I urge them and I'm seeing the same thing for adults. Pick something that is meaningful to your life. Otherwise, you're not going to stay interested in it. But, you know, if if you if you think they need to put sidewalks on the your grandmother's street so she could stay healthy by going out and doing a walk and not getting hit by a car, then you go to the town hall meeting and you tell them and you find other people to tell them and so on and so on. And you never give up. You just keep you keep at it. You let them know that's their job. You demand they tell you what they're doing about it or not, because that's transparency. And by the way, if they don't, guess what? They're not gonna get your vote next time. And if you know, so it's 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 really important that we advocate for ourselves and the whole healthcare thing as women try to find a woman who's a physician or a doc, uh, male doctor that really understands. I don't want to be saying not to go to a male doctor, but you have to find someone who's going to work. I have some male doctors and I've trained them to listen to me because I'm paying either through my insurance or me and you are hired. 
I don't give them, I give them the respect that that's their profession, but you're going to listen to me. If, if I tell you I have a symptom, you're not going to tell me, oh, it's nothing. You're going to tell me what could it be? And then you're going to look and help me figure it out and figure out what should be done about it. And because I wasn't listened to at one point, it almost cost me my life. But it was a woman. It was a woman who listened to me and said, you need to see a neurologist ASAP. I'm afraid for you, quote unquote. She wasn't a neurologist. She was another kind of doctor because they kept sending me to different things that weren't helping. And she was the first one. I said, they think I'm nutty. You know, I'm crazy because I can't. I would see my notes. I would ask for my notes. I would see that I have a strange sensation that I'm have difficulty articulating. And she said, for her, those very words meant to her, there's a neurological problem that's probably serious. If a patient can't explain their symptoms, I don't know if it was a combination of my race and my gender, but everyone, they weren't listening to me. And I got to a neurologist who was a man, and I met with him many times where he talked to me about a bomber and the drug problem on the gate. Finally did a test that led him to send me to a neurosurgeon, which was a woman. And she right away sent me for tests that were different tests that hadn't been done. And, and some, some of them expensive. So people judge, can you afford it? What kind of, you know what I mean? And she just looked at me as a patient who there's something wrong. I got to figure this out. And then they found it. And that's serious business. It's, it's literally life and death for women and a huge, huge disparity for women of color. And it's not fair. My name is Haisa Delori, but I'm also known as Ray, and I am 34 years old and I was born in Brazil. I currently work in biotech, helping with clinical trials, and I'm also a singer. For me, International Women's Day has always been about recognition of all the women in my life. But this year, I really wanted to reflect and think back about all the things that I've accomplished, and I wanted to share these in hopes that I could inspire other women growing up as immigrants in America like me. When I was in high school, I wanted to be a veterinarian or working with animals as a biologist. But because I'm a petite woman, I'm only 4'11", I was discouraged from these types of science jobs. I was told that I likely wouldn't be able to lift, do the heavy lifting required for these jobs and other science jobs like it. And I was also many times discouraged from working in engineering type jobs. I remember being told that I'm too outgoing for these types of things. And these engineering jobs are too analytical and very uh, male dominated. And they're right. I mean, less than 30% of uh, the world's researchers are women. In addition to all these difficulties I dealt with as a woman, pursuing science, I also had difficulties because I'm an immigrant. After high school, the majority of my immigrant friends decided to go straight into work rather than going to college. I was one of the only one of my friends that actually went to college. Most of them didn't want to go to college because uh, we weren't really eligible for financial aid, and this me meant that we had to pay for all of uh, education and living expenses out of pocket. So I did just that. I thought about giving up many times, but I kept going. Finally, after eight years in college, while working two jobs and singing part-time, 
I got my bachelor's degree in biology. Uh, this was in 2016, and I went straight into the workforce. I currently work for a biotech company as a project manager, and I help manufacture drug treatments that use gut bacteria harvested from healthy humans to treat a variety of gut-related diseases. I'm really happy I didn't listen to the discouraging voices and I kept going. I love what I do and I really feel like I'm making a difference in creating something novel and that has a potential of saving many lives. In my spare time, I sing with three different bands and I have a duo. I'm learning how to play the ukulele. I roller skate, I mountain bike, and I recently started weightlifting at the gym. Um, over the years, I realized that as a young girl, uh, people around me really sold me short, really. And um, I never imagined that I'd be able to do so much. Never did I imagine that I'd, I'd be strong enough to lift up to 200 pounds at the gym. And if you saw me, you probably couldn't imagine it either. I still hope to one day work with animals in some capacity, but I'm young and I'm excited for what, what else there is to come. I feel like the possibilities are endless. I really hope my story can be inspiring to others out there who don't have a lot of support in accomplishing their dreams.